right, good evening, my friends and followers. I'm your lawyer, Patrick McGeehan, and I am your best friend at your worst time. And as promised, I have a really interesting case for you today. This case was sent to me from a follower in North Florida, and it involves a police shooting where a police officer was shot, a defendant was shot, a bunch of rounds were shot, 23 to be exact. It involves three charges of attempted first degree murder on a police officer, and it involves criminal immunity, which means the defendant got off. He got released from jail. Okay, so where do we start? This happened in Beach at 1051 Covina, or the Covina Street, which is on the mainland in Cocoa Beach, Florida. Yeah, 1051 Covina Street. Now, give you an idea what the house looks like. So here we have the house. Typical Central Florida house, typical for Cocoa Beach. This is a few blocks off the intercoastal. It's not out on the actual beach. This is where John and Mary live. And in the, in the police reports that I ordered, because I ordered all the police reports from this case to review, police reports, um, while on the scene, there was a pickup truck, so I'm assuming it's this one, and a BMW. I don't know if that's a BMW or not, but whatever. Anyway, this is the house. It's on a corner with a big front yard. This incident occurred way back in 2015. And August 20th of 2015, around nine o'clock at night. You see, John and Mary live here. This is John's house. John's a 65-year-old white male. He's a retired auto worker from Michigan, I think it was. And he's a part-time security guard during the day. He's got a concealed weapons permit, and he's got a few guns in his house. This is his house. Mary is his niece. It's his sister's daughter. She's an adult. She's well over age. She's 30 something. And she lives in the house with them. But Mary has a drug problem. And Mary, you know, sometimes she's, she's homeless and she's, uh, sounds like she's got some mental health issues and her, she's a prostitute by profession. So John agrees to take Mary in as a favor to his sister, begrudgingly, because he states in a lot of his statements that he should have never taken her in. She's been nothing but problems since she got there. Anyway, so Mary stays in this bedroom right here. The reports say she lives, she stays in the bedroom right next to the front door. Here's the front door. It's got a screen on it. I'm assuming this is the bedroom because this is probably the living room. So this is 930 at night. There are street lights in the area. The nearest street light is across the street and one house east of where this is. This is the east side of the house towards the beach. This is the west side of the house. The house faces north on this particular street. So Mary in her, her activities gets arrested a month prior to this incident. She gets arrested in July of 2015 by the Bavard County Sheriff's Office, whatever they are, the vice guys. Vice guys are weird. If you ever know, if you ever known a vice cop, they're weird people. That being said, she gets arrested for prostitution at the CVS pharmacy near her house. Now, let me move over 
and show you where the CVS pharmacy. This is where John and Mary live and CVS is right here. So it's, you know, five or six blocks from the house. Mary gets arrested. She comes over there. She services and gets arrested by two of the cops who were on the scene on the August 20th shooting. So she knows them. She's familiar with them. So she gets arrested at that time without incident. They started further. They get some complaints. And right here, you can see the water. They get some complaints. And one of the complaints comes from a Bavard County chief on the sheriff's office. And it says in the reports that the sheriff lives in the neighborhood, like across the street in the neighborhood. Anyway, the sheriff's wife sees some suspicious activity and reports it to her husband. Her husband in turn turns over to Vice because they know that this woman is known for prostitution. So the deal is she would invite people to the house, perform her duties, they would leave and they would come apparently one after another pretty busily. And John, the uncle, would stay in the house but in his bedroom, so he knew about it, and would sit there and just leave his door open if she needed anything, she got in any trouble. So on this night, the police start texting her. And the way they come into contact with her on this particular night is they find her ad on Backpage.com. And if you didn't know it, Vice Cops troll Backpage.com, News Escort sites, all those sites, looking for prostitutes. They engage in communications with them, pretending to be a customer. And then when they show up for the services, they end up arresting them. particular night, the deputies text back and forth with Mary for three hours before they arranged a meetup. They tried to get her to come to a hotel room where they were doing their other stings, but she wouldn't come. So they end up coming to the house. They finally end up agreeing on a price. Mary says it's 150 bucks for oral sex. Sounds pretty expensive to me. I thought it'd be more like 20 bucks, but what do I know? Apparently that's the going rating. So three officers from Vice, not in uniform and unmarked cars, show up at this house. Two of the deputies, Roberts and Smith, arrested Mary before, so they know her. So they send the NFG, the new guy to the squad, who had been there for four days, Deputy Steve, they send him up to the front door. From the crime scene photos, I didn't see the crime scene photos, but they're described. The crime scene photos show that the light on the front porch was on, although it's very dim. So the light's on, the street lights across the street, but everybody, including the crime scene technicians, everybody involved, including the defendant and Mary, are all saying it's really dark out at this time of night. But the light is on, so there's a little bit of illumination there. So Deputy Steve, dressed in plain clothes, Roberts and Smith are wearing tack vests, supposedly with sheriff on the chest, and black t-shirts with sheriff down the sides. So, Steve goes to the front door. Smith and Roberts take up a position. Smith takes up a position over on the west side of the house, 
and Steve takes up a position to the west of the front door. They knock on the door. Mary knows they're coming. Thinks it's a customer. She opens the door and invites Steed in. When she does that, Steed reaches in the door across the threshold. And that's important, and I'll tell you why in a minute. He reaches across the threshold of the door, grabs Mary by the arm, and starts yanking her outside. So Mary starts screaming bloody murder. When she starts screaming, he pulls her outside. The other two deputies jump on her and they're trying to get her handcuffed right off the front porch. John, the uncle that's in the back bedroom, hears the commotion, grabs his Glock 40, comes to the front door. John sees two guys wrestling with Mary on the ground wearing dark clothing. He says in a statement that he doesn't know their cops. He doesn't hear anybody say sheriff's office or anything like that. He steps out on the front, fires a round up in the air. When he fires the round, Deputy Smith, Steed, and Roberts start backing off. Deputy Smith backs off west. Roberts falls over this hedge right here, lands over here somewhere, and Steed backs off straight. They draw their weapons, and the shooting goes on. 23 rounds are fired. Twice, once in the back and once in the elbow. Deputy Steeds hit once in the uh, abdomen under his vest, under his ballistic vest, and goes down. So they start rendering aid. John falls back into the house. Mary pulls him back in the house, closes the door. So what happens next? The deputies are out rendering aid to the to Deputy Smith, who's been shot. They're calling for fire rescue. They're reporting shots fired on the radio. Mary and John go back in the house. Mary picks up the phone and dials 911. She starts screaming to 911 about there's men outside in dark clothes trying to kidnap her, and the shots have been fired, and that John is shot. The 911 dispatcher starts rescue out there. She keeps them on the phone. Eventually, the dispatcher says, they're cops. You can go outside. Fire rescue is there now. She goes outside. When she goes outside, she immediately recognizes uh, Deputy Smith and Deputy Roberts as previously arresting her. So, they take Mary into custody. John goes to the hospital. Deputy Steed goes to the hospital. Everybody lives. Everybody's fine. John gets arrested and charged with three counts of first-degree murder on a law enforcement officer. And here's what they say in a report. They say, they hear him, they see him exiting the front door onto the porch, fire a shot in the air, and then draw his weapon down and start shooting, pointing at people and firing. When they do that, the deputies return fire. All deputies return fire. The deputies and John are all using Glock 40s. Three rounds of Glock 40 spent casings and partial projectiles found. So they confirm that there's 23 rounds fired. He steps out, they start shooting. Roberts, detect, or Deputy Roberts, says he's office, sheriff's office, sheriff's office. In later depositions, the other, two the other two deputies say that they don't remember yelling sheriff's office, that there wasn't any time, that it was, you know, a major fiasco, and that they don't remember hearing anybody 
Yale Sheriff's Office. So anyway, John goes off to jail. He's in there from August to December, because when he first gets arrested, he's held he finally gets a bond in December. It's six three hundred. It's four hundred and fifty thousand dollars bond. He posts it and he gets out in December. So he spends the next what four months in jail. The the attorney files a stand your ground motion or immunity from criminal prosecution motion, and it's. It's an interplay. It's not totally stand your ground. It's kind of stand your ground, castle doctrine, self-defense, all mixed in together. So the attorney files his motion. He does, he does all of his depositions beforehand, before he files his motion. He gets all the police reports and he basically outlines the, uh, the grounds for, this, for the criminal immunity. In Florida, we have the castle doctrine, which basically says, if you're being attacked in your house, you do not have a duty to retreat. We also have a very strong stand your ground law. If you're in a place that you're allowed to be, like your house, your car, or anything like that, and you're not engaged in criminal activity, you can stand your ground and you have no duty to retreat. And you can use force, including deadly force, if you reasonably believe that it's necessary to save your life or the life of another. Now, the castle doctrine, in this case, since it's in the house, the castle doctrine and stand your ground play interplay together. There's case law under Florida castle doctrine, which says the front porch is included in the dwelling house. And there's a presumption under both laws, if somebody is forcibly trying to enter your home, there is a presumption that you're in fear for your life. Okay, so the attorney outlines all that. Then it comes down to does he know that these are the that these guys at the house that are pulling Mary out are the police? And since he knows that Mary is a prostitute and she has customers coming to the house, is he engaged in the furtherance of a criminal enterprise? Those are the two issues that come up. When the judge hears the stand your ground immunity motion, they deny it. The defendant appeals to the 5th DCA. The 5th DCA sends it back asking, did the state prove um, by a preponderance of the evidence, by clear and convincing evidence that the, uh, the defendant, John, is not entitled to his stand your ground or castle doctrine immunity. They have, they don't have, they're getting ready to have a hearing. They stipulate that a hearing is not necessary, that the court can rule based on the large, voluminous, voluminous um, record in this particular case. So the trial court rules that the state didn't meet their burden. When you assert immunity, once you present a prima facie case, the burden shifts to the state and the state has to dispute that. The judge finds that the state was not able to dispute the, uh, the, first, the first issue. But the trial judge found that John was engaged in the furtherance of criminal activity. So that throws the case into a whirlwind. So basically, just so you understand where we're at, the trial court says he didn't know that they were the cops. So under that issue, 
he was able to use deadly force to defend himself. But when you throw in the other issue of was he involved in the furtherance of criminal activity, and if you're involved in criminal activity, you can't use immunity to get out of it. So if you walk into a bank and you're going to rob the bank and you have a gun and the security guard pulls his gun and you shoot the security guard, you can't claim stand your ground immunity. So they appeal again. It goes back to the fifth DCA again. The fifth DCA reviews all the facts over once again. And the fifth DCA comes to the conclusion that based on the record, based on the statements that the officers made in depositions, and based on the actions of the officers and the defendant, John, and his niece, and their statements, it was clear that they didn't know that the people outside trying to grab Mary were the police. And they went into this very lengthy rationale about how she was, she was engaged in prostitution, she was expecting a customer to come to the house, not the police to come to the house, and that's evidenced by her actions of when Deputy Steed knocks on the door, she opens the door and invites him in. So it was this very long rationale along those lines, which makes, makes a lot of sense. So they disposed of that. No way, and they, they threw a lot of the questioning in from the deposition to the deputies to support that. And when you look at the deposition testimony of the deputies, the deputies admit it was dark that um, the Mary didn't know Steed that was coming to the front door, that two of the deputies did not hear and did not yell sheriff's office. And Roberts, Deputy Roberts says he yelled sheriff's office. And then John and Mary said they didn't hear anything about sheriff's office and they never saw any, any emblems or anything that would indicate there were police. So it was clear to the District Court of Appeals that these guys were not the police. Then they look at the furthering. The, the next issue that has to be overcome is, was John, the defendant, involved in the furthering of criminal activity? And there's case law in Florida related to this that says the basic knowledge that someone's involved in criminal activity without further proactive steps in itself is not sufficient to prove furthering of criminal activity. So just because John knew that she was inviting John's to, you know, customers and John's to the house and he did nothing, but he didn't do anything proactive to further that. For example, he didn't call the John's, arrange the meeting, call the clients, arrange the meetings. He didn't receive any money from it. He didn't receive a portion from it. He just knew it was going on and basically did nothing. Now, Mary's different. If it had been Mary that was shooting, the outcome would have probably been different because she is engaged in the furtherance of the criminal activity. But the court determined that John is not. And on April 15th of this year, they discharged the case against John and ordered the trial court to let him go. So he escaped from the three counts of first degree murder on a law enforcement officer. And that's, that's an interesting case because when, when it comes to cases like Mr. Um, second degree misdemeanor cases, the, the police usually don't go to houses to further sting operations. 
In this case, they had a, a sting operation set up at a hotel. Mary refused to come to the hotel, but agreed to let them come to the house. So they go to the house on the second degree misdemeanor case and yank her out of the house. And they reach inside. Deputy Steve reaches across the threshold and grabs her out of the house to pull her out. And that's important because there's case law in Florida where the Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court says that the police cannot reach across the threshold for the purposes of making an arrest and extricating somebody from the house on a misdemeanor charge. And you know that, that was one of the issues that the court dealt with. And on a side note, they executed a bunch of search warrants, like 10 search warrants in this case, cell phones, all kinds of records, houses, they searched the house and everything. And one thing they came up with, one of the interesting things they came up in, with on the search warrant for Mary's cell phone is that two other deputies totally unrelated to this case were clients of Mary. And the sheriff's office found out about it and subsequently fired those two deputies. So there you have it, a case involving prostitution, a gun battle, people getting shot. Thankfully, nobody was seriously injured. Um, and all of them survived with, with uh, non-life-threatening injuries and criminal immunity for all actions involved. It's, it's a very interesting case. It's one that doesn't happen often. It's one that's kind of weird because in my experience as a police officer, when I was a police officer here in Miami, when they would go out to do these types of arrests, they would take uniform backup vehicles and have them staging in the area. But apparently, these guys didn't, and it was just the three of them in unmarked cars and plain clothes. And you know, at night, when uh, you know stuff usually goes bad. So it's interesting for me for not only the criminal, um, the criminal aspect of it, the crimes that were committed, but for the procedural aspects of the officers involved. Really interesting. I hope you enjoyed that. If you hear of any cases similar to this, and you want to send it to me to review and I'll take a look at it and tell you what I think and maybe do a video about it. This, like I said, this case was sent in from a follower from North Florida. It was on the news up there. I hadn't heard about it until he sent it to me, but it was very interesting. Almost as interesting as the suitcase murder we did last week, which was probably my favorite murder case in a long time. Anyway, thank you for coming in. Let me see if there's any questions that come up. I see everybody waving on Instagram. I'll wave back. I see Hazel, Captain Maureen, and Bridget over on Facebook. Let's see what they're saying. All right, Hazel, I know you hear me. Captain, yeah, it's 100, uh, I thought $150 for oral sex was quite excessive. I mean, it was my, my impression from, you know, my experience when people used to get arrested for this, it was like 20 bucks but I guess inflation, that was back in the 90s, so inflation gets them. All right, so we're good on Facebook. Let's go over to TikTok. Which part of North Florida was Cocoa Beach? Right off the intercoastal on the mainland side. Let's see if we have any over here, and I'll go over to YouTube also. Nothing on YouTube, on TikTok. Sir, what is the purpose of this live? It's to tell you about a police shooting case. And we're talking about stand your ground, castle doctrine, and self-defense. 
All right, Aaron asks, why didn't he tell them to get down and neutralize the targets right away? As far as John walking out the front door, probably because he's not trained to do that. And with 23 rounds fired, John was hit twice and the cops were hit once. So 23 rounds, three rounds on target is a little bit more than 15%. So it doesn't sound like from the shooting involved in this case that uh, everybody was in the, had the ability to neutralize the threat. Can you sue the government for unlawful imprisonment? Not as long as they're acting in good faith and there's no indication in this case that uh, the detectives were not acting in good faith. Can I shoot the pizza guy for forgetting my Pepsi? No. Can I get charged for pumping my uncle's sheep in Kentucky? I, I, I think that's legal in Kentucky. Can you sue the government? Nope. Not as long as they're acting in good faith. The guy was still in prison for months. Yes, he was. Yeah, they're not gonna do that again. Well, I mean, when you get, when you get arrested for a, a major crime like attempted murder, especially attempted murder on, on a police officer, you're originally held no bond. You're gonna to have to have an Arthur hearing to even get a bond set. What part of North Florida? It was in Cocoa Beach, like Central Florida. Cocoa Beach is like, if you're in South Florida, which is where I'm at, I'm in Miami, Cocoa Beach is you go to Orlando and take a right. define good faith courts define good faith I mean there's nothing there's nothing nefarious about the detectives actions there's odd things about the detectives actions and protocol things about it but there's nothing that appears at least to me from reviewing the record I read you know I read all this on the case which is not the full record but it's you know the police reports and the part of the deposition excerpts and the motions and the the uh, court orders. So it summarizes basically the entire record on the case. And I didn't see anything that indicates there was a bad faith. Bad faith would be, you know, something like they were going to go in there and do a drug ripoff. They knew Mary had some money and they were going to go in there and steal money from her or something like that. That that would definitely be bad faith. But the court didn't, the court didn't make any findings of, uh, of bad faith or anything nefarious like that. All right, let's go back to Facebook. We got a couple questions back on here. All right, the invitation to come in would negate the, well, maybe I should speak about that a little bit clearer. He reached across, as soon as she opened the door, she was in the process, you know, and it's undisputed from even the deputy's um, statements that she was like getting ready to say and in the process of saying, hey, come in, when he grabbed her. Basically, he described it as when she opened the door, she was like, eh, and he grabbed her and started pulling her out. She didn't even get the whole words out of her mouth. And that was cleared up in the defense deposition. Yeah, two deputies were clients. 
anyway, but the court did take issue and the court made a big deal about him reaching across the threshold of the door to grab her up, considering the case law. And they cited that case law, which the deputies, you know, the deputies probably knew already. Um, usually we used, to, we used to get them to like, say, hey, can you come out here and talk to me for a minute or step out or get them, try to get them to come out from, you know, behind the threshold because the threshold is a bright line. And once you reach across it, you have to have specific authority for that. It's even, it's even, um, you know, it's even cited as by the Supreme Court in a particular case as being a misdemeanor, a misdemeanor on the part of the cops. Anyway, that concludes it. Looks like we caught up. Everything looks good. I think I caught up on everybody. Thanks again for coming in. Thanks for taking your time out to give a listen. I hope you enjoyed that case. It's a very interesting case. Um, I had another one that I did last week about murder in up by Orlando. Uh, murder by a suitcase, a guy who died because of a suitcase. I'm always humbled at the number of people that come in. Thank you for your comments and questions and your DMs. You can always still DM me or email me. You can email me directly at Patrick at PJM Lawyer. You can DM me on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, all those. I am the Magic City Lawyer on Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, and Tumblr. You can catch me on Facebook on my business page, the Law Offices of Patrick McGeehan, my private group, Ask a Florida Divorce Lawyer, where if you want to join, just click join and I'll let you in. And we have a lot of good discussions. There are a lot of really good information about family law cases down in Miami. My YouTube channel, I'm your South Florida Lawyer there. I've got a hundred and something videos about various topics related to personal injury, criminal law, and family law for you to use. I have a bunch of resources on my website, Patrick or pjmlawyer.com. So feel free to check that out. Also on Twitter at PJ McGeehan Law. Thank you everybody for coming in. Look to see, look forward to seeing you on Monday or Tuesday for the weekly update. And again, Wednesday, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. we'll have a Law and the Life Live. I don't know what the topic's going to be. If a good case comes in, I may do another good case or, you know, something else completely different. All depends on what happens between now and then. I usually figure out what I'm going to talk about one or two days beforehand, and I put out on all my social media platforms the invitation and what the topic is. Thanks a bunch. Everybody have a great night. Stay safe out there. If you're locked down at home still, remember we're in this all together and we will make it through. Thank you and have a great night.